As you're being seated, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Next week, we will begin our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you want to get ahead, go ahead and read through the whole book. It's a short book. It's only 12 chapters. And, you know, if you feel a little depressed at the end, I promise you we're going to, you know, we're going to turn the corner. We're going to lift it back up. We're going to love that study. I have always loved uh, things that are uh, measurable, quantifiable. That's why I loved math growing up. Math was my favorite subject. It's probably why I went into uh, economics because there's a lot of math, but it's also visual. You can, you can solve all of these equations and then you can put them on a graph. In fact, uh, from an economist's perspective, if you can't graph it, it's probably not true, right? But I have discovered in life that there are many things that are really important to us that don't submit themselves to being quantified or measured. For example, if you are married here this morning, can you measure for me how well your marriage is doing? Now, do you know? Maybe you have this general sense of, yeah, we're doing kind of well. Or maybe you say, oh, I don't know if we're doing too well. You're not really sure. Now, how do you know? Well, I can tell you for sure, if you're a husband or you're a man here today, you don't know. But there probably is someone who could tell you how well your marriage is doing, right? Or parenting. How, how are you doing on your parenting? Can you give yourself a mark or a grade? You know, well, last night, you know, Brian was great. Nine out of ten times my kids obeyed me, you know, first time I asked, well, okay, so your parenting is going good or, or your kids are good kids or was your heart really in it? Was their heart in the right place? How do you, how do you measure? How do you quantify these things? Church, how are we doing as a church? We just celebrated uh, 50 years in December. We celebrated in those past 50 years going from one campus to four campuses and we've sent out hundreds of missionaries. We've had 90 interns come through our training. We, we had 40,000 sermon downloads last year. So we're doing well. We, those are numbers that quantify something, but does that mean that we're doing well? What is success? Well, for a church, it's not the number of campuses or the number of sermon downloads. It is what? Maturity. Are we becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? And you know what? That's difficult to measure, isn't it? Let me give you a couple of verses here from the Apostle Paul. First Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, he said this. We proclaim him, that is Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. The word for, for complete is, is the Greek word telos. It means uh, the end or the goal. This is the, the goal of the Christian life, so to speak. Complete in Christ. He uses the same word in Ephesians that we are all to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, that is to a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. Same word, maturity, telos, completion, goal. This is what we're going for, to be mature in Christ. But what exactly does that mean? And, and how, do you, how do you measure? How do you know if you're moving forward with Jesus? One of the things I'd like to do for you this morning is I want to give you, in a sense, a, a set of priorities, uh, four marks of Christian maturity. It's not an exhaustive list, but as we begin a new semester and a new year and we're taking time to reflect on the past and we're setting goals of what we want to see God do in our life in the future, these are some things that represent biblical marks of maturity that God is in fact working in our lives and transforming us. And they are these. First, maturing disciples connect with God and with others. Second, maturing disciples grow in knowledge, character, and skill. Third, maturing disciples serve both inside the family and outside the family. 
Fourth, maturing disciples multiply through evangelism and discipleship. Now, again, it's not an exhaustive list, but these are four marks of maturity that should always be growing and always be moving forward in our lives. And what I want to challenge you to do this morning is to simply ask God's Spirit to speak. What's an area of your life that God is challenging you to grow this year? You know, one of the things that I constantly pray to the Lord is this. I say, God, let me be content with all that you've given me. You know, content, not not reaching and grasping for more than you've given me, but let me never be complacent. I want to be content, but not complacent. And just this week, I just felt like God's spirit was stirring me to say, let me be open again to God changing and moving and stirring me. The fact of the matter is, I promise you, God does not want any of us to be the same next year as we are this year, Right? How how horrible would that be if by the end of this year we have not changed a bit, right? Don't you want God's spirit to stir you up? That's my prayer for you this morning. That's what I want you to, 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 to think about and listen for as we go through these four marks. Where particularly is God challenging you to grow and to mature this year? Okay, so let's look at the first one. Maturing disciples connect with God and with others. Read with me Matthew chapter 22 and verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. You know, that's really a remarkable statement because if you Uh, flip your Bible to that page right in between Old Testament and New Testament. Old Testament's about two-thirds of your Bible. And Jesus said, I can sum up all two-thirds of that in just two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. See, so often religion clouds our understanding of God because religion is so much about behavior. But what Jesus speaks of is relationship. It says, all of life is relationship, first with God and then with others. And the first priority that God has for your life and for my life, the first mark, in a sense, of a maturing Christian is that we are growing in our love for God, so much so that God is taking over all, even more of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. He's taking, all, taking over all of our inner being, even our body itself, and and distractions from the love of God are being pushed out of our lives. I have a question for you this morning. Are you there? Can you say, yes, I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, or perhaps is God stirring you up to grow in that area? Or maybe you're not sure exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe it's a a new year and you set new resolutions, and one of those was, I'm going to start going to church. And you're visiting here for the first time. Maybe you've been in church before, but it's been a long time, or maybe you've never been in church before. The beginning point for you is to start a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Apostle John wrote this, recording Jesus' words. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Another way to translate that is, this is the the life of the age. That is, this is the life of the future age that you can enjoy now. This is real life. Real life is just this. It's knowing God and loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And maybe you need to begin that relationship today. Earlier in the book of John, John wrote this. 
But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who simply believe in his name, that is, in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know for certain that you have a relationship with God this morning, I want to encourage you, this is the best way you could start off the new year. Simply call out to God. Say, God, I I believe. I believe that your son Jesus died for my sins and that he alone can give me eternal life. So that's what faith is. Faith is simply, it's reaching out to God and, and receiving a free gift. It's not earning it. It's not working for it. It's just saying, yes, God. I believe I accept the free gift of Jesus so that I can enter into eternal life. And you can know that this morning. You can walk out of here knowing that. In fact, in John's much later epistle that he would write, 1 John, he said, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You may have confidence. That's the beginning point. And I encourage you, if you've never started a relationship with God, that this morning you would begin. And if you're not convinced yet, I welcome you to you know, come talk to me after the service or send me a, an email or a letter or a phone call. I would love to talk. Or even better yet, if you know a friend who believes in Jesus, sit down with that friend and say, tell me what you've got. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me how I can have a relationship with God. But don't miss this moment in which God's spirit may be speaking to you and drawing you into a relationship with him. If you already have that relationship, you know that's just the beginning point, right? It's the beginning point of growing into one who loves God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Last year, I I challenged our congregation. It was my personal challenge for my own life. I wanted to become a better worshiper of God. I wanted to understand what it meant to really uh, appreciate who God is and declare to God who he is. And so what I focused on in my own spiritual life last year was worship. And, you know, I really felt like God grew me as a worshiper. And so as I began to think about this next year, 2016, I asked God, what, where are you pushing me? Where are you challenging me? I felt like God was saying more of the same, right? Let's, let's go deeper in that. Because I don't yet, Brian, have all of your heart. Where are you? In loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says this is the first and foremost commandment. There is nothing else that is more important than this. Everything else that's that's a mark of a maturing Christian flows from this. Loving God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said then there's a second commandment because all of life is relationships and it's this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And again, I step back and say, well, how well am I doing with that? <laughs> Let me ask you this. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, how much do you love yourself? I can tell you how much I love myself. I love myself a lot. <laughs> Let me define for you what I mean by love. What I mean is this. I always want what's best for me. I, I don't always know what's best for me, but I always want to do what I think is best for me. I'm really committed to that. Are are you not? That's what Jesus assumed when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. He assumed that all of you would want what's best for yourselves. He says, now, take that and do the same for your neighbor. Love others in that way. And so I want to ask you, are you in those kinds of relationships where you give to others what you would give to yourself? That you always are thinking about what is in their best interest. Particularly, I would say, first... Here in the body of Christ. Are you connected with God or are you connected with God's family in the body of Christ? You might say, well, sure, Brian. I, you know, I show up to church almost every Sunday. Let me just say, 
This is not all that there is to the spiritual life. Right? This is what churches get the most credit for, right? How many people show up on a Sunday, but it's certainly not the most important thing we do. What's most important is that you are sitting alone with God and you are listening to him and you are in prayer speaking to him and you are singing praises to him. You are learning to worship him and letting him capture your heart. And then you are deeply in relationship with other believers in which you are challenging them and they are challenging you to love God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. That really is where the the health of the body of Christ comes from. Not simply in a once a week time where we gather together and worship. This is important, but this is just a start in a sense to the week of worship. Are you connected in those kinds of relationships? I want to encourage you, if you're not, you need to be with other believers who know you and can challenge you. And other believers that you know and you can challenge. If you're not Please let me know. We can help connect you to other believers. But even better, if you've got Christian friends and they're disconnected as well, get together and challenge one another. Say, let's grow together this year. Let's become different people. Let's see God's spirit transform us more and more into the image of Christ together. Let's commit to that together. Because in fact, that is the normal Christian life. That's what God intended for us. Let me read to you one verse from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Writer says this. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's he talking about? He's talking about the day drawing near of of Christ's return. Because as that day draws closer and closer and closer, the persecution and the suffering that God's people will experience is going to become more and more and more intense. And so he says, as it becomes more intense and there is more temptation to turn away from God, and there's more trial and more suffering, you need the body of Christ to, to stay strong. You need others who will encourage you to say, don't turn away from God in those times. Instead, go deeper in God. When you're struggling the most, cling to him more. You need people like that in your life and you need to be that person for others. Jesus says this, here's the first and foremost commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength. But second, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the first mark or the first priority. Connect with God and to connect with others. Second, to grow in knowledge, character, and skill. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. It says he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, I will admit that I am a, I'm a goal-oriented person, goal-oriented personality, uh, I like to set goals and accomplish goals and 
you know, check things off and say, I've moved forward, I've pr- progressed, I've achieved. Um, and when our, our kids were first born, I began to set goals for them, right, even as babies, because I, I read all those books, right, what to expect when you're expecting and then what to expect in the first year. So I'm, I know what to expect, you know, in week one and month one and month three and six and nine. So, you know, certain mark, I had a goal, you know, my kids need to hold up their head, right? So it's time to do, let's do neck exercises, right? So we'd work out, right? And then you got to crawl. So let's get you up and let's build those muscles and then walk. I want my kids to walk and I want them to run and I want them to begin to form syllables and then words and sentences. And I want them then to, to get into school and, and achieve in school and get good grades. I want to graduate high school and graduate college and get a job. That's, get a job. That's a goal. And I want you to, you know, I want to see them get married and have kids and, and move on and, and become so successful that they can support me in the lifestyle to which I'm accustomed, right? I have goals marked out for my kids. And every time they accomplish something, I, I celebrate. Why? Because it's moving me closer to retirement? No. <laughs> because growth is normal. That's what humans should do. We should be moving forward. Not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It's growth. It's something to celebrate. And Paul says, our goal is to move into the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Will we ever get to that measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Well, not in this lifetime. But we're told that one day we will be glorified and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And in the meantime, let's make progress toward that. There are at least three areas of progress that are mapped out in the Bible. That is knowledge, character, and skill. Knowledge, character, and skill. As Paul would write to Timothy, his final letter, he said this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Wow, listen to the, the, the words of effort, in a sense, in that verse. Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman. A workman unashamed, accurately handling and working with the word of God. A resource to transform your life. Be hungry, Timothy, for the word of God. That is the calling on absolutely every Christian. If you don't know how to get into the word for yourself, I will tell you it's one of the great passions of my life. To see Christians learn how to dig into the word for themselves, accurately interpret it, accurately apply it to their lives. We've got resources online. A lot of them, they're free. You can just download them. Blake and Matt and I have all created our best books list that have books that will help you go deeper into the word of God. Allow God's word to, to be stirred up in you. Hunger for it, or as Peter says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word of God. It's an, it's an imperative. He's, Peter says, long for it, just like babies want milk. How do babies want milk? Man, when they're babies, that's all they think about, right? If they don't have milk, they cry for milk. You give them a bottle, and they just go to town, and after they've gotten enough milk, or, Tristan, I used to call that, that milk coma sets in, right? <laughs> they fall asleep, and when they fall asleep, what are they thinking about? Milk. They're dreaming of more milk, and then they wake up, what do they want? More milk. Okay, Peter is using exactly that image. Do you want to grow in your Christian life? Long for God's word just like a baby says, give me more. Let me have more. And screams and cries until he has more and dreams about 
more until she has more. I promise you, the more you are into God's word and understand God's word, God's spirit will reward you with a deeper longing for God's word. Why? Because it is the word of God that is one of the primary sources to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. From Paul's first letter to Timothy, his disciple, he said, but the goal of our instruction is love. Well, so the goal of our teaching is not to increase your intelligence about God or the information that you have God, about God. It, it is not to give you enough so that you can stun your friends with how you've memorized the word of God. The goal of our instruction is to transform you. Because what's the first priority in life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That is a transformation of character so that we, in a sense, love ourselves and think less of our, about ourselves and more about God and others. And the word of God is that which transforms us. As Paul would tell the Romans, do not be conformed to this world that is completely preoccupied with self, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind into the very image and character of Jesus Christ. Grow in knowledge, grow in character, and then grow in skill. Live it out. What God has put in your mind and moved into your heart, begin to actualize in the things that you do through your life, your head and your heart and your hands. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I'm going to give you a prayer priority. He said, I want you to pray for this. Pray that God would send out laborers into the harvest. And then a few minutes later, he said to them, now it's time for you to go out as laborers into the harvest. Right? You're, you are the answer to what you just prayed a few minutes ago. And he sent them out. Right? Matthew chapter 10, he sent them out. Were they ready to go out and, and preach and pray for people and heal people? You know what? <laughs> uh, the, the narrative would tell us no. They really weren't ready for it, but they were ready to be stretched. And so Jesus sent them out and they were stretched. And they begin to practice the things that they saw Jesus do, right? Which leads us to our third priority. Maturing disciples serve both inside of the home and outside of the home or family. Matthew chapter 10, verse 45 says this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's another remarkable thing. The creator of the universe... Right, the one who made all things would be willing to take on human flesh, that is, enter into his creation, and not enter into his creation as one to be served, but would enter into his creation as a servant, as one who longed to serve others. And that's a principle in Scripture, because even in the Old Testament, God described himself as the servant of Israel. Right? God, the, the creator of all things and the creator of Israel itself, is also a servant. And that's a principle in scripture that, in fact, as we follow this example of God, we find our lives more fulfilled, not less fulfilled. As we're not so fixed on receiving from others, but actually giving to others, we find God fulfilling our lives. The, the summer after my uh, junior year, I experienced this firsthand, probably for one of the first times in my life, this paradox of, of giving and enjoying giving and serving. Uh, after my junior year, I got selected to go and work uh, on work crew at a Young Life summer camp in Colorado. It was only the second time I'd been to Colorado. I'd gone as a camper the year before. And so, man, I was just so, so fired up because I loved Colorado the first time. 
you know, being in the mountains and going river rafting and doing all kinds of crazy fun things, climbing mountains. And so I signed up to be on work crew. I thought this will be awesome. And I don't know if I hadn't really figured out that work crew involved work, you know, as part of the crew, but I hadn't, right? So I got up there and I discovered that there were, there were two groups on the work crew that the guys would be selected for. You'd either be on uh, the outdoor crew and you'd be outside and you'd be uh, raking the pathways and moving logs and cleaning things up and doing painting and you'd be out outdoors for a month. It'd be awesome. But then the other half, the other group of guys would be selected for kitchen crew. And so when we all discovered that, you could see, you know, just the anxiety on, on, everybody, anxiety on everybody's face because really hadn't, we hadn't expected that. We weren't ready for that. And you had to put your name in the hat and then they'd draw your name out and you'd be either you know, be on the outdoor crew or you'd be on kitchen crew. And I reached in and guess what I got? I got kitchen crew. That's right. And, you know, everybody who got kitchen crew, I mean, you can look around the room. It's like, oh, we're going to be in the kitchen. You're going to be in a kitchen in Colorado, in a kitchen for a month. And, I, you know, really our attitudes when we started first day, man, we, it was rough. It was really rough because we, you know, as we would leave the kitchen, we would see our, you know, our cohorts, you know, our buddies, they're out there and they're outdoors and they're getting tanned and bronzed and they're getting to hang out with the campers. And, you know, we had to arrive early before anybody else and help get breakfast together. And then we would stay late after every meal, collecting the dishes and washing all the dishes and putting the dishes away, by which time it was ready, you know, time for the next meal. And then we would prepare and clean up after the next meal. And then it'd be dinner time. By the time we got out at the end of the day, man, we were absolutely exhausted, hard to enjoy, beautiful, wonderful Colorado. But you know, a remarkable thing happened over the course of that month. We had a, a, our boss was a Young Life staff member from Georgia. And I cannot remember his name, but he was, he was this huge like mountain man, mountain of guy, you know, big bushy hair, huge beard, and just a, a super joyful guy. And what he did is he, he built us into a community and he taught us to enjoy working with one another and serving the campers. And he gave us perspective on what we were doing as we gave our time and our lives away during that month. And I promise you, by the end of that time, none of us would have traded our experience to be working outdoors. None of us. We, we, we learned to love one another and we learned to love serving. It was one of the first times that I really experienced that for myself in my life. And it's a truth that Jesus said. He said, if you save your life for yourself, you're going to lose your life. But if you give your life away and lose your life, you will save it. You will enjoy it. It's a truth. It's a paradox, but it's true. We find life when we give away. First in our families. Right? First in our families, which is often the hardest place to serve. Because we really don't get as much credit from family for the service that we do, right? And since it's often just expected, I would rather mow my neighbor's yard than mow my own yard. That'd be great. My neighbor would think I was awesome. I'd just show up and mow his yard. Wow. Yeah, it's just Jesus, man. I'm a servant, right? I mean, mow my own yard. Who, you know, nobody goes, hey, way to go. Way to go, dad. Right? You prepare a meal for a friend, you know, somebody's sick and you bring this great meal over. Wow, that's wonderful. I'm going to write you even a thank you note. I mean, Nobody writes you a thank you note for breakfast, lunch, dinner, right? And then breakfast, lunch, dinner the next day. And then breakfast, lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner. On and on forever, right? Or cleaning the dishes afterwards or cleaning the home, right? In the home is the hardest place. 
And where we're most often treated like servants. And that's where character is formed. First, in our family. Second, I would say, in the family of God. Because as we serve one another in the family of God, that is an incredible testimony to the world. Let me read to you from John chapter 13. It says, Jesus poured water into the basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Again, a marvelous thing. Creator of the universe gets on his knees And the dirt that he had created, he wipes from between the toes of ungrateful disciples, including Jesus. And when he finishes this whole excruciating process, he says, now what you have seen me do for others, I want you to do for one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So go and do this also for one another. In the family of God, and then as we move out together, displaying our love for one another, to the world, particularly, I would say, to those who cannot give back to us. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James says, you know, what what does really a rich and deep relationship, a love for God look like? It means going to those who, who really have nothing that they can give you in return or those who are very vulnerable and serving. Our testimony is is so phenomenally strong when we love for one another and care for one another, serve one another, sacrifice for one another, and then we go out into the community together and give and give and give, expecting nothing in return. Or for many of us, when you give at the place of your work, which is where so many of us spend the majority of our waking hours, when you give to your coworkers, when you help your coworkers advance, when you help their careers move forward, that is supernatural because that's not, not how most people behave in the workforce. See, this is such a critical component of our maturing into the image of Jesus Christ because God is one who gives. Right? That's the nature of God. For God so loved the world that he, what? He gave. Right? And when we give, when we learn to serve, when we discover how God has uniquely and specially made us, when we move into the lives of others, we are reflecting the very nature of God who gives. And then fourth, fourth mark. So maturing disciples, Jesus Christ, multiply. Specifically, that is through evangelism and discipleship, right? Uh, Everyone here knows the, the Great Commission. We talk about it all the time. Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Where does that begin? It begins with the gospel. Church, I want to challenge this again this year. Let's share the gospel. Let's tell the truth. Now, this last week, Tristy and I got back from our uh, 20th anniversary. Anniversary is actually in March, but we celebrated early in January. Celebrated her birthday as well. Went to uh, Cancun, and it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, that was amazing. What a trip. We'd never done one like that before. And, um, you know, weather was great. The water was clear. The beaches were soft and white sand. And service at this resort was amazing. All-you-can-eat food. I mean, it was just it was, I mean, I, I ate at least, at least seven meals a day. I had ice cream after every meal. I mean, it was very hedonistic. Yeah, I mean, it was just, ah, you know. At one point in time, I, I got a text from a friend of mine. He said, hey, can we get together? I go, oh, sorry, you know, I'm, I'm in Cancun. We're on our you know, anniversary trip. You know, and then he writes back something trying to make me feel guilty about how hard his life is, you know, in College Station, whatever, da-da-da, you know, blah, 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 whatever. 
I wrote him back. I said, actually, you know, I'm having a really hard day today as well. I got some lobster stuck in my tooth. (laughs) Uh, It was fun. But, you know, the best part of the trip is that Tristan and I got to talk about Jesus every day, multiple times a day, with uh, staff that were serving us, with other guests at the hotel. And every time we'd come back and just say, this is a beautiful place, but boy, that made us feel alive. Right? That made us feel alive. And I want to encourage you, church, the more you talk about Jesus, the more you will enjoy talking about Jesus. And you'll become comfortable with not knowing every answer and not being able to prove every point. You'll become more confident in talking about your Savior and pointing people to your Savior, Jesus Christ. You will enjoy it more and more and more. Test God in this. It's true. When you dive deeper into the Word of God, you love the Word of God more. When you share your faith more, you love sharing your faith more. It happens. Let me illustrate. John chapter 1, verse 35, it says, Again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him, and they followed Jesus. You know, we didn't see anyone get down on their knees and pray and receive Christ with us while we were on our anniversary trip, but we got to direct a lot of people toward Jesus as their Savior. It was a wonderful thing. Make disciples. It starts with evangelism. But it includes pouring your life into other believers so that they can imitate Christ more clearly. That, in fact, is a process that is for absolutely every every one of us. It may be that you have young children at home and right now your children are your primary disciples that you are helping form into the image of Christ. Well, you know, be intentional at teaching them how to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our children's ministry is here to serve you as their disciple makers. Or it may be that there's someone at work who's just beginning to walk with Jesus and you can encourage that person to go deeper in their faith, to learn how to study God's word and pray and to share their faith. See, that's how the church is designed to grow, through spiritual multiplication. As Paul told Timothy again, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also for generation after generation after generation. So why don't I challenge you by the end of the year that you'll be able to say, you know, these are my men, these are my women, these are my children, these are my girls, my boys. These are the ones that I'm pouring my life into make disciples of all nations. So where is God challenging you uh, to grow this year? I promise you one thing. God's Spirit wants to make you at least a little bit uncomfortable this morning. There's something in your life that God says, I want you to move forward. I want you to make progress. I'm not looking for you to achieve perfection, but just to stay, take a step forward. Where is that in your life? Get, get specific. Write it down. Tell someone so you've got some accountability. And then begin to make steps, progress, to allow the Spirit of God to form the image of Christ in you. One of our staff members, I've asked Zach to come up and speak for just a minute. We've really challenged Zach this last year to take a, a new step, a different step. Um, I've been uh, in June, Mark will mark 12 years as senior pastor, and my entire time here as senior pastor, I always wanted uh, a coworker who would work alongside me and really pay attention to this campus, the Anderson campus, right? We have four campuses going now, but one who would be uh, my coworker to think about Anderson campus. So we challenged Zach to become camp- campus pastor here, and I asked Zach if he'd come up and kind of share his heart about what God is doing and challenging him in, in his personal life. Uh, and then we're going to 
pray for Zach and pray for all of us as we start a new year. Right. Go ahead, Thank buddy. you. Well, I'm back up here now to talk a little bit more. Um, thank you, Brian, for that. Just so you know, a little history where I've come from at Grace. I started here in 2002 as a youth pastor. They let me do it way beyond uh, my comfort zone, but stepped out there, let God grow me, challenge me. I probably shouldn't have been a youth pastor, but hey, I could fool a few people and it was awesome. But, but no, really, God moved in my life and grew me and grew me for, uh, for about seven and a half years, served in that role. Then I decided um, I just, I knew God was leading me somewhere else. So I took a step of faith, went up to seminary, got a, got a you know, like some of us, we've got a two-year degree in three years, uh, take your time. But God moved in my life. I, I met my wife. I came back, uh, newly married, and God opened the door for me to come back on staff here as a children's pastor. So I've served in that role for three and a half years now. And um, when this opportunity came up, another big challenge, another big thing. And people ask me, Zachary, are you excited about this opportunity? Are you excited about this role? And I said, you know, I am so excited and I'm scared to death. And everybody I told that to said, you know, that's probably a pretty good answer. It's probably good, a pretty good place to be, to be excited and to be cautious. And I'll tell you, let me tell you why I'm excited. For all of us on staff at Grace Bible Church, for most, let me say this, most of us, we've always had more of a horizontal picture. We are looking at multiple campuses. We're thinking about children's ministry, multiple campuses, youth ministry, multiple campuses, college as well. What excites me about this new role and responsibility is the idea of focusing on one campus. To be able to say from here, from, from children to youth to college to singles to adults to, to our older, wiser, living saints, to be able to think about one place where I'm looking at one campus, one people, and to build into that and invest into that. I can't tell you how excited that makes me. But it makes me Weary. It makes me afraid to stand before you because I sit there and I think, who am I to even attempt to stand before you and pastor and shepherd? This is where I cut my teeth. This is where as a new believer, I was growing as a baby. And God has moved in my life and brought me to this place, a, a challenge that I, that I take humbly, that I know will keep me on my knees. And I pray and I hope, I pray that you would pray for me but at the end of the day, God would, would use me and find me faithful in a place like this. Some of you know me. Some of you don't. Um, I just want to give you a, just a quick picture of where my heart is so you know what, what drives me, what motivates me. The thing that touches me deeply that I desire for all of us, for myself, more than anything, is that we would see God transform us. Life transformation by God's work in the power of the Spirit in our lives. And I, I love to see that happen in my life. I love to see that happen in people's lives. And I, the, the way that I approach that, the, probably the spiritual gift that I have that, that comes to the forefront for me is service. I come from a long line of stubborn Italians. We don't show a lot of emotion. But when I get to serve, and when I get to serve you, and when I get to th- see God use me to affect someone's life in any way, it brings me t- to tears. We, we don't cry, we just glaze, right? But that's what happens. It's an emotional response for me because I've, that's how God has wired me. And so I love to serve and I want to serve you all well. 
in this new world. And there are three things that, to me, are the seedbed that, that drive me in my service to see life transformation. And that's relationships, truth, and grace. Our God is a relational God. We know that from the Trinity. He is three in one, perfect relationship. And that's how he designed us, to be in relationship with him and with one another. And love is the foundation of that relationship. And so my hope and my prayer for us is that we would grow in our relationship with God and grow in our relationship with one in that type of community. I also want to uplift the truths of God, that who he is, what he's done, and how he's revealed himself makes all the difference in our broken world to transform us. And that we would know the word of God accurately and teach it well. And last, grace. I'm going to say this for myself, but I I think this is true for all of us. Um, Despite our pride, our stubbornness, our sin, God has chosen to love us and use us. And my prayer for us is that we would all humble ourselves that we would acknowledge when we fall short, that we would seek forgiveness, and that we would be used by God. We would move on past those things and press into God more and let him transform us for the benefit of each other, for the benefit of the world, and for the, for the name of Jesus Christ. Just to give you a glimpse, that's what my heart and my desire is, to see lives transformed by relationships, by truth, and by grace. So pray for me. That is my heart for, is to serve you in that way. And hopefully I will live up to that challenge. So there you go. Thanks, Zach. Real quick. Thanks for uh, letting God challenge you and stretch you. Uh, as we close, I ask uh, Andy Redmark, one of our camp elders, if you come up and pray for Zach, as well as uh, just pray for our, our church in a uh, uh, new semester. And Zach, thanks for being willing to work with me. There's going to be a lot of grace for both of <laughs> you, right? Uh, Father, thank you so much for uh, this uh, new chapter for the church, for uh, Zach, and we thank you for what he brings to this role. We thank you for his, uh, his encouragement, his, his enthusiasm, his passion, and Lord, we just thank you that uh, you, you've given him this opportunity, you've given us this opportunity, and we just pray that uh, you'll bless this, this next chapter We thank you so much, and we thank you for your grace and mercy each day, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me encourage you to think through how God is challenging you this week, this semester. And also, remember, Ecclesiastes, we'll start it next week. So go ahead and read through the whole book, one sitting if you can this week. And again, if you feel a little depressed, it's okay. We'll we'll come back up. We'll bring it up. All right, God bless you. Have a great week.